0: American lawyer and lecturer, Robert Ingersoll, often called the great agnostic, was the son of a fanatical Presbyterian preacher. He practiced law in Illinois and was for a time Attorney General of Illinois, but further political offices were denied him because of prejudice against his anti-religious views. He began lecturing in 1877, speaking against religion and promoting humanism achieving tremendous popularity, but also earning the wrath of orthodox religious people. Among his numerous works are The Ghost and Other Lectures, 1878, Some Mistakes of Moses, 1879, and The Christian Religion, 1882. His works were published in 12 volumes in 1900. Recent editions include On the Gods and Other Essays, and Reason, Tolerance and Christianity. In What is Religion? Ingersoll passionately argues that belief in God is chiefly based on fear, that the manifold hardships of human and animal life militate against the belief in a benevolent God, and that morality is founded upon social relations, not the existence of God. What is Religion? 1899 It is asserted that an infinite God created all things, governs all things, and that the creature should be obedient and thankful to the creator. That the creator demands certain things, and that the person who complies with these demands is religious. This kind of religion has been substantially universal. For many centuries, and by many people, it was believed that this God demanded sacrifices that he was pleased when parents shed the blood of their babies. And afterwards, it was supposed that he was satisfied with the blood of oxen, lambs, doves, and that in exchange for or on account of these sacrifices, this God gave rain, sunshine, and harvest. It was also believed that if the sacrifices were not made, This God would send pestilence, famine, flood, and earthquake. The last phase of this belief in sacrifice was, according to the Christian doctrine, that God accepted the blood of his son, and that after his son had been murdered, he, God, was satisfied and wanted no more blood. During all these years, and by all these peoples, it was believed that this God heard and answered prayer, that he forgave sins and saved the souls of true believers. This, in a general way, is the very definition of religion. Now, the questions are whether religion was founded on any known fact. Whether such a being as God exists, whether he was the creator of yourself and myself, whether any prayer was ever answered, whether any sacrifice of babe or ox secured the favour of this unseen God. First, did an infinite God create the children of men? Why did he create the intellectually inferior? Why did he create the deformed and the helpless? Why did he create the criminal, the idiotic and the insane? Can infinite wisdom and power make any excuse for the creation of failures? Are the failures under obligation to their creator? Second, is an infinite God the governor of this world? Is he responsible for all the chiefs, kings, emperors, and queens? Is he responsible for all the wars that have been waged, for all the innocent blood that has been shed? Is he responsible for the centuries of slavery, for the backs that have been scarred with the lash, for the babies that have been sold from the breasts of mothers, for the families that have been separated and destroyed? Is this God responsible for religious persecution, for the Inquisition, for the thumbscrew and the rack, and for all the other instruments of torture? Did this God allow the cruel and vile to destroy the brave and virtuous? Did he allow tyrants to shed the blood of patriots? Did he allow his enemies to torture and burn his friends? What is such a God worth? Would a decent man, having the power to prevent it, allow his enemies to torture and burn his friends? Can we conceive of a devil base enough to prefer his enemies to his friends? If a good and infinitely powerful God governs this world, Then how can we account for the cyclones, earthquakes, pestilence and famine? How can we account for the cancers, for microbes, for diphtheria and for the thousand diseases that prey on infancy? How can we account for the wild beasts that devour human beings? For the fanged serpents whose bite is death? How can we account for a world where life Feeds on life, where beak and claw, tooth and fang, invented and produced by infinite mercy. Did infinite goodness fashion the wings of the eagle so that their fleeing prey could be overtaken? Did infinite goodness create the beasts of prey with the intention that they should devour the weak and the helpless? Did infinite goodness create the countless worthless things living within and feeding upon the flesh of higher forms? Did infinite wisdom intentionally produce the microscopic beasts that feed upon the optic nerve? Think of blinding a man to satisfy the appetite of a microbe. Think of feeding life on life. Think of the victims. Think of the Niagara of blood pouring over the precipice of cruelty. In view of these facts, what, after all, is religion? It is fear. Fear builds the altar and offers the sacrifice. Fear erects the cathedral and bows the head of men in worship. Fear bends the knees and utters the prayer. Fear pretends to love. Religion teaches the slave virtues. Obedience, humility, self-denial, forgiveness, non-resistance. Lips, religious and fearful, trembling repeat the message. Though he may slay me yet I will trust him. This, this is the abyss of degradation. Religion does not teach self-reliance, independence, manliness, courage, self-defense. Religion makes God a master and man his serf. The master cannot be great enough to make slavery sweet. If this God exists, How do we know that he is good? How can we prove that he is merciful, that he cares for the children of men? If this God exists, he has on many occasions seen millions of his poor children ploughing the fields, sowing and planting the grain. And when he saw them, he knew that they depended on the expected crop for life. And yet this good God, This merciful being withheld the rain. He caused the sun to rise, to steal all moisture from the land, but gave no rain. He saw the seeds that man had planted wither and perish, but he sent no rain. He saw the people look with sad eyes upon the barren earth, and yet he sent no rain. He saw them slowly devour the little that they had, and saw them when the days of hunger came, saw them slowly waste away, saw their hunger, their sunken eyes, heard their prayers, saw them devour the miserable animals that they had, saw fathers and mothers insane with hunger, kill and eat their shriveled babies, and yet the heaven above them was as brass and the earth as iron, and he sent no rain. Can we say that in the heart of this God there blossomed the flower of pity? Can we say that he cared for the children of men? Can we say that his mercy endureth forever? Do we prove that this God is good? because he sends the cyclone that wrecks the villages and covers the fields with the mangled bodies of fathers and mothers and babies? Do we prove his goodness by showing that he has opened the earth and swallowed thousands of his helpless children, or that with volcanoes he has overwhelmed them with rivers of fire? Can we infer the goodness of God from the facts we know? If these calamities did not happen, would we suspect that God cared nothing for human beings? If there were no famine, no pestilence, no cyclone, no earthquake, would we think that God is not good? According to the theologians, God did not make all men alike. He made races differing in intelligence, stature and colour. Was there goodness? Was there wisdom in this? Ought the superior races to thank God that they are not the inferior? If we say yes, then I ask another question. Should the inferior races thank God that they are not superior? Or should they thank God that they are not beasts? When God made these different races, he knew that the superior would enslave the inferior knew that the inferior would be conquered and finally destroyed. If God did this, and knew the blood that would be shed, the agonies that would be endured, saw the countless fields covered with the corpses of the slain, saw all the bleeding backs of slaves, all the broken hearts of mothers bereft of babies. If he saw and knew all this, Can we conceive of a more malicious fiend? Why then should we say that God is good? The dungeons against whose dripping walls the brave and generous have sighed their souls away. The scaffolds stained and glorified with noble blood the hopeless slaves with scarred and bleeding backs, the writhing martyrs clothed in flame, the virtuous stretched on racks, their joints and muscles torn apart, the flayed and bleeding bodies of the just, the extinguished eyes of those who fought for truth, the countless patriots who fought and died in vain, the burdens beaten, weeping wives, the shriveled faces of neglected babes, the murdered millions of the vanished years, the victims of the winds and waves, of flood and flame, of imprisoned forces in the earth, of lightning stroke, of lava's molten stream, of famine, plague and lingering pain. The mouths that drip with blood, the fangs that poison, the beaks that wound and tear, the triumphs of the base, the rule and sway of wrong, the crowns that cruelty has worn, and the robed hypocrites with clasped and bloody hands who thank their God, a phantom fiend, that liberty had been banished from the world, These souvenirs of the dreadful past, these horrors that still exist, these frightful facts deny that any God exists who has the will and power to guard and bless the human race. Most people cling to the supernatural. If they give up one God, they imagine another. Having outgrown Jehovah, they talk about the power that works for righteousness. What is this power? Man advances, and necessarily advances, through experience. A man wishing to go to a certain place comes to where the road divides. He takes the left hand, believing it to be the right road, and travels until he discovers that it is the wrong one. He retraces his steps and takes the right-hand road and reaches the place desired. The next time he goes to the same place, he does not take the left-hand road. He has tried that road and knows that it is the wrong road. He takes the right road, and thereupon these theologians say, there is power that works for righteousness. A child, charmed by the beauty of the flame, Grasps it with its dimpled hand. The hand is burned, and after that, the child keeps its hand out of the fire. The power that works for righteousness has taught the child a lesson. (laughs) The accumulated experience of the world is a power and force that works for righteousness. This force is not conscious, not intelligent. It has no will, no purpose. It is a result. So thousands have endeavoured to establish the existence of God by the fact that we have what is called the moral sense, that is to say, a conscience. It is insisted by these theologians and by many of the so-called philosophers that this moral sense, this sense of duty, of obligation was imported and that conscience is an exotic Taking the ground that it was not produced here, was not produced by man, they then imagine a God from whom it came. Man is a social being. We live together in families, tribes and nations. The members of a family, of a tribe, of a nation, who increase the happiness of the family, of the tribe or of the nation are considered good members. They are praised, admired, respected. They are regarded as good, that is to say, as moral. The members, on the other hand, who add misery to the family, the tribe or the nation are considered bad members. They are blamed, despised, punished. They are regarded as immoral. The family, the tribe, the nation creates a standard of conduct, of morality. There is nothing supernatural in this. The greatest of human beings has said, Conscience is born of love. The sense of obligation, of duty, was naturally produced. Among savages, the immediate consequences of actions are taken into consideration. As people advance, the remote consequences are perceived. The standard of conduct becomes higher. The imagination is cultivated. A man puts himself in the place of another. The sense of duty becomes stronger, more imperative. Man judges himself. He loves, and love is the commencement, the foundation of the highest virtues. He injures one that he loves, then comes to regret, repentance, sorrow, conscience. In all this, there is nothing supernatural. Man has deceived himself. Nature is a mirror in which man sees his own image, and all supernatural religions rest on the presence that the image which appears to be behind this mirror has been caught. All the metaphysicians of the spiritual type, from Plato to Swedenborg, have manufactured their facts, and all founders of religion have done the same. Suppose an infinite God exists. What can we do for him? Being infinite, he is conditionless. Being conditionless, he cannot be benefited or injured. He cannot want. He has. Think of the egotism of a man who believes that an infinite being wants his praise. What has our religion done? Of course, it is admitted by Christians that all other religions are false, and consequently we need to examine only our own. Has Christianity done good? Has it made men nobler, more merciful, nearer honest? When the church had control, were men made better and happier? What has been the effect of Christianity in Italy? in Spain, in Portugal, in Ireland? What has religion done for Hungary or Austria? What was the effect of Christianity in Switzerland, in Holland, in Scotland, in England, in America? Let us be honest. Could these countries have been worse without religion? Could they have been worse had they had any other religion than Christianity? Would Torquemada had been worse had he been a follower of Zoroaster? Would Calvin have been more bloodthirsty if he had believed in the religion of the South Sea Islanders? Would the Dutch have been more idiotic if they had denied the Father, Son and Holy Ghost and worshipped the blessed trinity of sausage, beer and cheese? Would John Knox have been any worse had he deserted Christ and become a follower of Confucius? Take our own dear, merciful Puritan fathers. What did Christianity do for them? They hated pleasure. On the door of life, they hung the cape of death. They muffled all the bells of gladness. They made candles by putting rockers on coffins. In the Puritan year, there were 12 Decembers. They tried to do away with infancy and youth with prattle of babes and the song of the morning. The religion of the Puritan was an unadulterated curse. The Puritan believed the Bible to be the word of God, and this belief has always made those who hold it cruel and wretched. Would the Puritan have been worse if he had adopted the religion of the North American Indians? Let me refer to just one fact showing the influence of a belief in the Bible on human beings. On the day of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, she was presented with a Geneva Bible by an old man representing time, with truth standing by his side as a child. The Queen received the Bible, kissed it, and pledged herself to diligently read therein. In the dedication of this blessed Bible, the Queen was piously exhorted to put all papists to the sword. In this incident, we see the real spirit of Protestant lovers of the Bible. In other words, it was just as fiendish, just as infamous as the Catholic spirit. Has the Bible made the people of Georgia kind and merciful? Would the lynchers be more ferocious if they worshipped gods of wood and stone? Religion has been tried, and in all countries, in all times, has failed. Religion has never made man merciful. Remember the Inquisition. What effect did religion have on slavery? What effect on Libby, Salzburg and Andersonville? Religion has always been the enemy of science, of investigation and thought. Religion has never made man free. It has never made man moral, temperate, industrious and honest. Are Christians more temperate, nearer virtuous, nearer honest than the savages? Among savages, do we not find that their vices and cruelties are the fruits of their superstitions? To those who believe in the uniformity of nature, religion is impossible. Can we affect the nature and qualities of substance by prayer? Can we hasten or delay the tides by worship? Can we change winds by sacrifice? Will kneelings give us wealth? Can we cure disease by supplication? Can we add to our knowledge by ceremony? Can we receive virtue or honour as alms? Are not the facts in the mental world just as stubborn, just as necessarily produced as the facts in the material world? Is not what we call mind just as natural as what we call body? Religion rests on the idea that nature has a master and that this master will listen to prayer, that this master punishes and rewards, that he loves praise and flattery and hates the brave and the free. Has man obtained any help from heaven?